welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Hi there, and welcome again to the Defender Podcast. Today is May the 3rd, 2023. That's right, we've made it to May. Um, I'm Rick Morton, and I'm happy to be coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Today, we're going to have a special privilege on the Defender Podcast. We're going to be listening to the the testimony and the story of of our friend, Julie Scott. Uh, Julie is an adoptive mom who also is an adult adoptee. Um, She was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, and has um, just an incredible story and also just an incredible perspective. She brings uh, a wealth of life experience. She brings um, the experience as an adoptive mom who is who's processing adoption from from a different set of eyes. But uh, first and foremost, she she has an experience of walking through um, being adopted and, and and being parented in an adoptive home that that really give her some great insight. And so. Uh, recently, Julie spoke at our Rooted in Love conference, and we were able to capture her testimony as as she gave it. and uh, And we're really thankful for her willingness to be able to share her story. But before we get there, we want to talk about international adoption scholarships. Children across the globe are waiting for a family, and the need for families is growing. We know that finances can be a barrier to families answering the call to adopt. And that's why we here at Lifeline are excited for the opportunity to offer a scholarship for families that are pursuing international adoption. Families who apply for a full international program now through May 31st, 2023 are eligible for a Hope Adoption Fund scholarship starting at $1,000. You can see our show notes or you can visit lifelinechild.org backslash international dash adoption to find out more or to begin the process by filling out our pre-application. That's uh, lifelinechild.org backslash international adoption, or just jump into the show notes and we'll be happy to share that with you. Um, We'd love to talk to you about the process of international adoption. We'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, We'd love to walk with you as the Lord is having you consider whether your family would adopt internationally. This is a great time if you've been praying about international adoption to wade into the process. And the first thing we would do is invite you to to fill out a pre-app and and get into the process if you've already made that decision so that that we can begin conversations and help you and help you uh, to discern what it really is the Lord's will for your family and how Lifeline might be able to help. So now, uh, without further ado, we want to get to our story today. Uh, This is Julie Scott. She was at our recent Rooted in Love conference and is sharing with us her story from both the perspective of as an adult adoptee uh, and then also as an adoptive parent. So I want to set the tone by sharing something that I wasn't planning on sharing um, my full name is my maiden name, Julie Kehalani Barsha, and I am now Julie Kehalani Scott. And Kehalani is the is a Hawaiian name, and it means dewdrop from heaven. And so, in Hawaii, rain is considered a blessing, a very profound blessing. And um, I know that some of us might have wrestled with the weather today, but 
um, just as I sat in the back and really listened, I was, I was looking at the rain and thinking about my name and um, just what a blessing it is to be able to come and share my story. So I just want to set the tone with that. I'm going to read most of my testimony, which means I'm going to read all of my testimony so that I stay on topic. And most importantly, I'm a normal person just like you. Um, and I'm just really touched. I'm really grateful that you guys are willing to listen to an adoptee perspective. So let's begin. A few years ago, I began to write about how being adopted impacted my childhood, my adolescence, and my adulthood. I wrote about parenthood and the difficult decisions that parents make out of love, fear, limited resources, fatigue, and pressure. I wrote about the willingness parents must have to be judged and misunderstood. I wrestled with some hard things and I came to this conclusion. Behind every hard thing is a story and behind every story is a good thing. So I encourage you to look for the good. I was adopted through the Hawaii foster care system and had a closed adoption. Similar to the path that you are on, I was adopted by a Christian family who took me home after I was discharged from the hospital. I hope that my story will give you a glimpse into the complex, messy, and redemptive layers in adoption. Keep in mind that this is uniquely my story and that every child who's adopted will have a different experience. As you listen, I hope you sense how powerful your role is going to be as an adoptive parent. The adoption journey for you and your child will last a lifetime. There will be joy and grief, peace and uncertainty. You won't have all of the answers and that's okay. You don't need to be a perfect parent, but you do need to be a compassionate one. Compassion is important because every adopted child will experience loss. How they understand and deal with that loss will look different for every child. Not all loss is bad, but all loss is hard. People often think that when children are adopted as babies, then they're spared this loss, but this isn't true. The uncomfortable reality is that before an adoption can take place, there must be a legal and physical separation between a birth parent and their child. And this goes against God's natural design and the separation brings loss and wounding for birth parent and child. It hurts to think about any child being wounded. All you wanna do is wrap that child up with all the love in the world. But there's no amount of love that you can give a child that will undo the loss that comes from being separated from a birth parent. Love can't undo events from the past, but it can lay a solid foundation for the future. If you are an adoptive parent or prospective adoptive parent, I want you to really hear this. Just because your child has experienced a loss does not minimize or invalidate the love you have for your child. It does not minimize or invalidate your role as mom or dad. Your love matters more than you can imagine. And if you are a birth parent, 
who has ever made an adoption plan for your child, lean in and listen closely. Very few people can understand the depth and power behind your love. Just because your child has been adopted does not erase or invalidate your relationship as biological parent. It does not minimize your love for your child. Rather, it expands it. I wanna share a little bit about my biological mom. Her name is Chong Young Kim. She was born in the 1940s and raised in South Korea. She married an American soldier who was stationed there and eventually they moved to California and then Hawaii. And during that time, they had three sons, my half brothers. The husband divorced my biological mom and she became a single parent in Hawaii with my three half brothers. So she was an immigrant with limited English skills, no job, and suddenly no place to live. My biological mom lost custody of my three half brothers. Two of those brothers were adopted by different families and the youngest brother remained in foster care. His name is Michael and he had 25 different placements by the time I was born. In 1984, my biological mom gave birth to my older sister. When my sister was six months old, she was placed as a foster baby with the family who would later become her and my adoptive family. During my sister's adoption process, I was born and placed into foster custody. The family who had my sister asked if they could foster me, but were discouraged from it because of my potential medical issues. Thankfully, this didn't stop them. My medical issues were treated and they resolved quickly. When I was discharged from the hospital, I went home with the Barsha family and they became my forever family. Sometime later, my social worker found my biological mom very ill. The social worker told her that the Barshas wanted to adopt me and my sister and my biological mom signed off on her parental rights. No one ever heard from her again. No hospital record, no police record, no obituary. I have had no closure. After that, the state of Hawaii had to petition for my birth father, but he was never identified or located. Next, biological family members were given an opportunity to adopt me and my sister. My biological mom's sister, my aunt Lily, lived on the island of Maui. And when I was 18 months old, Aunt Lily flew to Oahu and met us at the zoo. So when she saw that we were in a good home, she did not want to disrupt our stability. And she made the difficult decision not to adopt us. Sometimes how we extend love is hard to explain and understand. Often, it is even harder to endure. We never heard from her again. My adoption by the Barshas moved forward, and that process took almost two years. In total, my parents have six kids, three biological kids and three adopted kids. There is a special bond between the adopted children and an extra special bond between me and my biological sister. Bonding healthy attachment, and learning to love has been a growth process for me. I grew up as a pastor's kid 
and was told that Jesus loved me. I believed that Jesus loved me and asked him into my heart at the age of five. But I also believed that doing so would make my parents love me more. I viewed love as a transaction. On one hand, I was told that my birth mom gave me up for adoption because she loved me. And yes, that was the phrase used. On the other hand, I was told that my parents chose me for adoption because they loved me. So love made them do opposite things. And I was powerless in the middle of it. I worried that I could be separated from my adoptive parents if I misbehaved. But I also worried that I could be separated from them if they chose to love me in the same way as my birth mom. Love felt confusing and unsafe. I began to live in fear of it. I am now in my late 30s and have had time to process what I felt during those early years. As a child, there was no way that I would have been able to explain any of the complex feelings I had. Children don't have language for such things. I am not suggesting to you that every adopted child will have the same thoughts and feelings that I had. But please consider that a young child might be trying to process more about their adoption than you're aware of. Growing up, my family lived in a mostly Caucasian community, and there was often an explanation being made for why the adopted children were with the Barshaw family. My parents and three older brothers are white, my sister and I are Asian, and my younger brother is a mix of Asian and Pacific Islander. I felt embarrassed that my presence had to be justified. When people complimented my parents for how amazing they were to adopt us, and I was within earshot, it made me feel like a purchased item, like I was a trophy being paraded around. It reinforced the toxic mindset that I was indebted to my parents. I just wanted to be a regular kid with regular parents. During my elementary years, I started getting asked by other kids why I didn't look like my parents. It's normal and healthy for kids to notice these differences. But I hated that I was often the only non-white kid in my class. To this day, I am always hyper aware of when I am the racial minority in any social setting. The language we use and when we use it matters. For example, family members told me that I wasn't really Asian. They didn't say it to hurt me. They said it because they wanted me to feel like I belonged in our family. Sometimes family members joked that I was a banana or a Twinkie, yellow on the outside, but white on the inside. The jokes hurt deeply and I felt ashamed of being Asian. Whenever I blew out the candles to my birthday cake, I wished for one thing, to wake up with blonde hair and blue eyes. By age 10, I realized that I would never become white. So I believed that I could never be beautiful. I have vivid memories of spending years looking in the mirror and saying to myself, you are ugly, you are stupid, you are worthless. My journey with self-worth has been long and hard. Up until my teenage years, I was a pretty compliant kid, but things changed when I was a teenager and I entered into a depression 
that I did not come out of until my mid-20s. I struggled with suicidal thoughts and self-harm through cutting and eating disorders. Just before my teenage years, I experienced a significant trauma. When I was around 11 or 12 years old, my mom told me and my sister about our half-brothers. She told us that the youngest of these brothers, Michael, had recently aged out of foster care and committed suicide. The devastation was complex. My mom explained that during our adoption process, Michael's care team requested that he not be told he had sisters. His emotional state was fragile and they feared that sibling connections would make things worse for him. To complicate matters, we lived in the same community as Michael and my oldest adoptive brother helped coach his soccer team. The care team thought that if my sister and I were told about our biological brothers, we might say something to Michael at the soccer field and it would upset him. It was too great a risk in their minds. They made the decision that in order for Michael to never know about our existence, then we would not be told about the existence of our three brothers. When Michael's death appeared in the newspaper, my mom told us the facts herself so that we wouldn't hear it from anyone else. Sometimes there is no right or wrong. Sometimes there are just bad options and worse options. That was the hand we were dealt and my parents had to make really hard decisions. As a teenager and young adult, I had a lot of resentment toward my parents that people in our family, our community and our church knew about my biological brothers but my sister and I didn't. It felt violating. In recent years, the resentment has been replaced with compassion and gratitude. More than anything, I am grateful that my mom shared this information with me and that she was honest. I know that my parents loved Michael and they wanted his highest good. I encourage you to talk about your child's biological family to them in an honest and positive way. Your child will need to hear your verbal permission to talk about their biological family. Please don't be afraid of your child's questions or feelings. They're going to have some really big feelings. They aren't asking questions to hurt you. They're just curious and trying to make sense of their identity and their history. When I was in seventh grade, I got into a fight with another student and she screamed at me in front of the entire gym class. Well, at least I wasn't adopted. At least my parents love me. I don't even have to say that word, adopted. Her message was clear. I was unlovable and should be ashamed for being adopted. When I went home and told my parents what happened, I told them that I hated the student and that I would never forgive her. I expected them to explode with anger and get that girl expelled from my school. Instead, my parents modeled self-control. They explained to me that Jesus wanted me to extend forgiveness. And they asked me to call the student that night and tell her that I forgave her. In my wounded state, I felt as though they didn't care about my pain. 
I thought they cared more about the person who had hurt me. I went through the motions and I called the student, but in my heart, I took my hatred for the student and directed it toward my parents. I wanna prepare you that there will be some things your child encounters that you will have no control over. You will not be able to shield them from every hurtful experience and it wouldn't be wise to anyway. What you can do is validate their pain. I know that I have talked a lot about feelings and I also know that feelings are sometimes different from truth. It's important, however, to remember that feelings are a type of reality that when validated can open the conversation and lead someone to a more profound and ultimate truth. When I was 15 years old, my family moved out of state and I wasn't able to bring my dog with me. She had been given to me on my 13th birthday and we were very bonded. My parents knew that the quarantine process would be difficult for my dog and they made the hard decision to rehome her without asking for my input. What my parents never knew was that in eighth grade, my dog intervened and saved my life when I was attempting suicide. I felt incredible loyalty to her and the loss of her companionship shattered me. It triggered all of my feelings of betrayal and abandonment. I felt completely powerless. Naturally, my parents were concerned about me and my mental health during my depression. I remember them asking me multiple times if I wanted to attend counseling. I refused and told them that if they forced me into counseling, then I would kill myself just to spite them. They decided to respect my boundaries and they didn't force me to go. They let me have control as I processed things that were out of my control. I am so grateful that they loved me to this degree. To be clear, I am very supportive of counseling and I think every person can benefit from it. But it was wise of my parents at the time not to force me into something that I wasn't ready for. After the move, I met another half Korean girl named Rachel and we became best friends. Throughout my depression, she pointed me to Jesus. God used her friendship to give me hope in my darkest times. We remained close friends throughout high school and college. During college, I met a few other Korean transracial adoptees and I found it very helpful to process with them about their experience. In my junior year, I spent a semester living in South Korea. And while I was there, I received news that Rachel committed suicide on Thanksgiving Day, 2005. My world came to a stop. For the next 12 months, I wrestled with God. On the surface, I was grieving over Rachel's death. But the depth of my grief and anger was rooted in my adoption loss. Rachel's suicide triggered feelings I had when I learned about Michael's suicide. I felt abandoned and powerless. It was scary and hard to admit this because loss was never talked about when I was growing up. In that season, I finally realized that it was okay for me to be sad about certain parts 
of my adoption journey. I gave myself permission to grieve, and this led to a life-altering moment for me. I realized that adoption was never part of God's original design because family separation was never part of God's original design. Most importantly, I realized that while we may not live in the Garden of Eden anymore, the God who walked with man in the garden still walks with us today. Maybe our world isn't perfect, but the God who holds our world together still is. And he loves us more than we can comprehend. During this season, I came to a true saving faith and my life took a 180 degree turn. After graduating from college, I attended a seminary in Canada and began dating. I never dated before that because I was afraid of dating somebody that I might be related to. I didn't know how to navigate romantic relationships in a healthy way. And I inflicted a lot of pain on the people I dated. In retrospect, all of my manipulation and insecurity stemmed from unresolved fear that I had from being an adoptee. In many ways, I was five years old again. I craved human love, but because of my fear, I could not let it into my life. In 2012, I met my husband, Brian. His steadfast love and commitment have helped me in accepting that I am worthy of human love. He has shown me that love indeed is patient. We have been married for nine years and there are times that my adoption wounding is still triggered. More often than not, Brian pays the price for wounds that he never caused. He has amazing compassion and understands that navigating loss can be a long and complex journey. I became a mom in 2016. And after giving birth to my son, a lot of the pain I had around being adopted disappeared. You might think it was because I was able to experience a blood connection, but it wasn't blood that made the difference. It was life itself that overwhelmed me. It introduced a love more powerful than anything I had ever experienced. The doctor could have placed any child in my arms, from my womb or not. And I knew that I could love that child just as powerfully. In that moment, God opened my heart to adoption in ways I never thought possible. My daughter was born in 2018. And in 2021, we began our adoption journey with Lifeline Children's Services. We are currently waiting to be matched. And I can tell you that this side of adoption is also a complex journey. If your life has been touched by adoption in any way, then you know that there is pain, but there is also good. Adoption has been a hard journey for me, but one that I wouldn't change because it was the path that God used to bring me to a saving faith in him. He is the greatest good in my life. Before I close, I want to share about how I connected with biological family members, even though I had a closed adoption. In case you're wondering, 
I never pursued contact with my biological brothers, and to this day, they don't know that I exist. I discovered that my Aunt Lily died, and from her obituary, I learned that I had an uncle and two aunts who are still alive. In 2019, I made contact with my biological uncle through 23andMe. Telling my parents about connecting with my Korean uncle was one of the scariest things I have ever done. Thankfully, they were supportive. And we have a closer relationship now because they weren't threatened by my desire to connect with biological family members. When I met my Korean uncle in person, it was emotional and meaningful. I call him uncle and I have a very special love for him, but I don't feel a need to foster the relationship. In 2022, I saw a photo of my biological mom and grandmother for the first time. Seeing this photo made me feel complete in a way I can't describe. I look just like my biological mom and she's absolutely beautiful. I have her photo framed next to a photo of me with my parents on my wedding day. When I see the photo of my Korean mom, I always wonder if she held me in her arms after I was born. I don't have the answer, but because I am a mother myself, I know that she always held me in her heart. And when I look at the photo of me with my parents, I think about how they held me in their heart long before they ever held me in their arms. Right now, you are holding a child in your heart. I know that you are anxious for the day you will hold that child in your arms. As you wait, I encourage you to begin exercising your compassion muscle. Your child will need your compassion more than you can imagine. I'd like to end by reciting the chorus from the song, Goodness of God. You're welcome to join me if you like. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.